everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been teaching through the book of Philippians. I am jumping into a series that Lumi and Emily planned. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open them up to Philippians chapter 3. If you didn't bring one, uh, this, is again, this is another really rich text. would love for you to uh, be able to have the words in front of you. There's Bibles in the back and on the sides of the room. Um, open up. The page is up there on the screen. Uh, just, just to remind you a little bit, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to a young church in Philippi, this uh, this city is like Rome away from Rome. Uh, you know, the culture of uh, Rome, the values of Rome are not just taught, but they are exemplified in the architecture, in the temples, uh, in the, the grant of citizenship to many of its uh, citizens. And, and so there's, there's this competition, you might say, of allegiance for people who are saying Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. Jesus is our Messiah. And so as we read, I would invite you to stand to simply honor the words uh, that God is speaking to us today. And I'll, I'll actually back up a little bit into part of what Emily taught on last week, just as a refresher, and give me one moment. We'll start in verse 8, and I'll repeat a couple of these verses just because I think they carry so much weight. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I'll read that again. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that has raised him from the dead. Again, I want to know Christ. This is relational knowing. This is not I want to know doctrine. This is not I want to know information about God. This is I want to know Jesus and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I'm just going to jump down to verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And now down to verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. 
For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So come Holy Spirit. We ask that the words that were just heard would sink into our hearts, would change our very lives, that would attract our attention, our focus, like runners with their eyes on the finish line, help us to run this race. Help us to be faithful in all we do. Help us to love you and love other people. We look to you as our teacher, as our Lord, and as our Savior. Amen. You guys can have a seat. One of the phrases here that Paul uses that is, I think, really important to understand, really applicable, uh, Paul says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. But what is faith? Exactly. Well, we talked about this in second session a few weeks ago, and uh, I, I think faith is one of those words that actually has a, a variety of meanings, and if you only focus on one of the meanings, you actually lose track of all of what God wants for us uh, and God's plan for our lives and minds and hearts and souls. And so uh, one of the, the really impactful things that was said, I'm going to quote Elizabeth Baxter, who's uh, one of our dear friends here for a long time. Uh, the king of the universe, this is a definition of faith, the king of the universe loves you so much that he was willing to die. That's one of the things that we hold on to. That's what it means to have faith. To have friendship with God. There, there are beliefs we have. That's part of faith. But if all you think faith is, is knowing a set of facts, well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a phrase in Scripture that says, even the demons know who Jesus was, right? So knowing the facts isn't necessarily a good path if that's all you're concerned about. Uh, to trust is one of, I think, the best definitions of faith, but also allegiance. And this is one of the, this is the, this is the aspect of faith that I'm going to spend much of today's teaching on. To have faith in Jesus means that our ultimate allegiance is in him or for him, toward him. So when we hear Paul talk about Jesus being the Savior and Lord or Messiah, which simply means anointed king, we have a religious lens through which we hear those words. But if you're living in Philippi, Rome away from Rome, when you hear Jesus is Lord and Savior, these are political phrases. This is going to have political impacts because 
on the coinage, on the streets, written on the walls of buildings, the phrase that gets repeated over and over again is not, in God we trust, but Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Savior. Caesar will give you peace. And so Paul is saying, when he says, put your faith in Jesus, make sure that your, your allegiance is toward him, not toward the politics of the day. But, of course, allegiance to Jesus has political implications. To get there, I want to talk about two different groups of people that Paul is talking to in particular, because both sets have their allegiance just slightly misguided, but both sets, this is maybe difficult to hear, are people who have identified as followers of Jesus. They are in the church of Philippi. And again, don't, don't hear church like what we're doing here today. This is a church service. Church is the adjective. This is not the, the building we're in. That's not the church either. That's the church building. Uh, you know what the church is in Philippi? It's the people who have gathered. And you, in this case, are the church. Not, not what we're doing now. This is one of the ways that we express our love for God and grow in our faith and knowledge uh, and practice the ways of Jesus. So Paul is saying to people in this church who have deviated from like real faith in Jesus. On the one hand is the group that Emily talked about last week. They are the Judaizers. And you could think of uh, these two groups of people of two different ditches that you can fall in as followers of Jesus. Again, not those people out there, us in here, there are two different traps. The Judaizers uh, are the group of people who are, have held on to religiosity as their, uh, as their guiding principle. They, uh, in a different way of putting it, uh, they are legalists. And so, of course, we think, when we hear the word religious, we maybe think of um, Christians or Muslims or uh, Hindus, uh, but I mean, I, I personally, even though Christianity gets put in the category of, you know, the world's religions, like there's actually something very, very different from following Jesus and religion. Uh, but you can be religious about a lot of different things that aren't uh, faith backgrounds. You can be religious about your political party. You can, I've met some very religious vegans. And not only do they adhere to very strict you know, a very strict set of eating. Uh, they they are they can be. I'm not saying all vegans. I'm saying the religious vegans are very judgmental toward the people who don't follow their set. And there, there's like almost an ethical weight to how they eat and what they eat. And they're they're always trying to evangelize or trying to convince everybody that the whole you know you should be a vegan and everybody should be vegan again. This is the religious. Uh, but you, you can apply this to politics. You can apply this to faith backgrounds. There are lots of people who say, I'm a Christian, who have actually turned the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus into a religion. And, and one of the things that sets that apart is, as a religion, I've, set, I, I've said, I follow the rules. You don't. I'm in. 
you're out because I believe the right things and you believe the wrong things. Uh, in the case of the Judaizers, they, they were saying you need to be circumcised, you need to adhere to all the uh, religious festivals. And so culturally and practically, they have imported their religiosity and their legalism into their faith or allegiance to Jesus. On the other hand, and this is the people that Paul is addressing here in chapter 3, I think there's some debate among the scholars as to who the exact audience is, but it's the people whose conduct, it says, shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, these are, if you're sitting in church and Paul is saying, some of you are enemies of the cross of Christ because of your conduct. They make their appetite their God. They, verse 19, are headed for destruction. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. And that's what that last little phrase is really what sets them apart. Their attention is on this world, on the pleasures that we can have here. Uh, Scholars have called this group of people antinomians. Who knows what a nomian is? Any wild guesses? <laughs> Are you imagining a little green animal? No. Uh, a nomos in the Greek is law. So these are the people who are anti-law. And you actually, you find Christians here who would teach that Jesus has come to abolish the law. Uh, by law in like the Christian category or the Jewish category, that would be uh, the Ten Commandments, the teachings of the Old Testament. And you might draw that conclusion if Jesus didn't say himself, I did not come to abolish the law, uh, but to fulfill it. But there's a lot of doctrine, there's a lot of theology that actually jumps to the conclusion, like the Old Testament doesn't apply to me. Now, that's a whole little rabbit trail that someday we'll talk about in second session of how the Old Testament applies to us as followers of Jesus. I'm not going to go down that path. But the idea is is that one of the ditches is to be religious and put your faith in your own deeds and actions to save you. The other is to cheapen grace and say, well, I'm saved. Jesus has come. He's my, uh, my Lord, but I'm going to decide what's good for me. Uh, and you can decide what's good for you. And uh, there, there's a kind of a rejection of God's design for humans and how to relate to one another, at least in like this outside authority sense. So uh, you, you might say the, these people are, are living for pleasure. They're pleasure seekers. Um, you know, if, if it feels good, do it. How could it be wrong if it feels so good? Isn't there an old song that goes something like that? Um, in any case, these are the two ditches that we can fall into on the antinomian case. You can see how these followers of Jesus who were immersed in Roman culture, pagan culture, not just in that, you know, there's all these other gods and, you know, you can still pay homage to Caesar, but also just in terms of uh, how they spent their money, how they viewed sex, how they... Um, live their life? Are they, are they, they're not submitting to the kingship of Jesus. They're not saying, I'm going to obey Jesus and the, like the scriptures with Jesus does affirm and want or desire for us. So what is the path? 
At the end here, Paul says, but we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We belong to a different kind of kingdom. And so our hearts are aimed at God and his ways. And I have some bad news for you today. Did you guys know we're in another political season? (laughs) They just keep coming. So I'm just going to warn you, uh, you will find out that many of your friends who claim allegiance ultimately to Jesus have much more fervor toward their political party and toward the person that they're voting for or and would like you to vote for. Uh, but at the end of all of it, Jesus is still king. And we have actually a responsibility, if you read through the New Testament, to be good citizens, to love the city and the country that we're a part of. But to put our ultimate authority on, like, give that to Jesus. Our ultimate allegiance belongs to Jesus. And so, I mean, I don't care that much if you're a Republican or a Democrat. But I do care that you look at your party's beliefs through the lens of Scripture, through the teachings of Scripture, through uh, the ways of Jesus and the person of Jesus, and that when you interact with people with whom you disagree, that you love them (laughs) like Jesus loves them, that you speak with respect. That's what it means in part to be a citizen of heaven. Uh, But let's think about what does it mean to be a citizen of anything or of of a country, let's just say. So when I grew up, uh, I I went to a Christian school and still uh, every morning we stood up and you know what we did? We put our hands on our hearts and we said the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, right? There There was this set of values There was a culture of honoring people who had served in the military, of respecting law enforcement, firefighters, uh, and this this is the weirdest part, elected officials. Like to speak respectfully of people who were elected officials and to pray for them even if we didn't agree with them. And so what you find Christians doing in the first century is one of the, the, the reason that they were persecuted was not... Because they said, God loves you. You're saved by grace. The reason they were persecuted is because they refused to give their ultimate allegiance to Caesar. Caesar said, pray to me. And Christians would only pray for him. Christians said, my heart and my worship and my passion and my fervor belong to my ultimate king not to this person who, I mean, Paul says we are to respect and honor and God has put them there for a place or put them in a place, in their place for a reason. But when the values of the kingdom of God contradicted with the values of the country that they lived in and even were willing to serve and help improve, they were willing to die when they stood up for their faith because they put their allegiance 
in a different place, in a higher place. Uh, I learned that this we're not living in the same world as we did when I was a kid. Uh, and I think even about, you know, so if there's a, if there's emergency vehicles coming down the road, uh, I don't actually pull over because it's, it's the law. Like, did you know if there's a, you know, if like there's an ambulance or a fire truck coming at you, you're supposed to get out of their way. Right. Uh, I was in Jersey this last week <laughs> and, uh, there's a fire truck coming. And so I pull over and someone starts honking at me. Uh, and so it's kind of like a, it was just a weird, like, what is going on here? What? I don't understand. And then of course, you know how people are. I come up to stoplight and he pulls up and he's like, what were you doing? I was like, I point at the ceiling and go like this, like, (laughs) what do you mean? Uh, but, but apparently he had someone more, more important to go than the fire truck did. And I mean, at least in his mind, because I'm pretty sure I saw him at Acme five minutes later. I wasn't sure enough that it was him to make a comment. But anyway, you can see how, uh, like, how easy it is to place, like, like we, in today's world, our allegiance is to ourselves. And we, we think uh, that we are the ones to define what is good and what is evil. And, and we're the, you know, it's very easy to become self-absorbed and believe that we're very important. Uh, to be a citizen of heaven, though, I just want to draw out three things. Jesus says, this command I give you, to love one another. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is how Christians are supposed to be known. People who follow Jesus are supposed to be known for their love, not for their politics, not even for their beliefs, but for their love. And at the heart of love is giving value to human life, especially the vulnerable. That is what made Christianity so contagious. That is, I, like, by, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, people were able to love radically, even though in that world and culture there was a, there was a clear hierarchy of whose life was valuable and important, Roman citizens, and whose wasn't, everybody else. And if you were weak or you were vulnerable, you were, look, you were left behind. But for the follower of Jesus, the value on human life, especially the vulnerable, becomes a guiding principle for us. Whether that human being is unborn or aging uh, to the point where perhaps they can't even leave the house or leave their bed. To value a human life that is vulnerable is at the very center of God's heart. It means that we love and respect those with cognitive disabilities and the poor and the immigrant and anybody else who is vulnerable because God wants to come to their, to their side and protect them. And, and, and that's part of our call as well. And so one of the ways we love is we must find ways to serve the vulnerable, to serve the poor, not just have politics that do those things because there are many different ways to like politically, I guess, write laws that protect or take care of the poor. But at the end of the day, we have the most, the most we can do is 
I think personally, more than, more than a, a vote. And maybe that is part of being a good citizen. I mean, that's how I view voting. But to be a citizen of heaven goes beyond voting and into loving. The second thing is, uh, is that we have a message. Part of being a good citizen of heaven is to bring the message of God's kingdom of faith, as you saw on the board, the message of God's kingship, of his lordship, of his love, and of the hope we have in the power that will someday raise us from the dead. We have a message and people don't know it. (laughs) Like they've maybe even heard it, but they need to hear it again from somebody who speaks with love, who's someone who's willing to orient their entire life to put their full allegiance on Jesus. Because part of what, like, like we need to show them God's love through our actions, but they need to hear about God's love through our, our words. This is what it means to be a citizen of heaven, to hold on to Jesus, to keep our eyes focused on the prize like a runner running the race. And this is, we're in it for the long haul, guys. Like, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Some of you have been following Jesus for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And so, to the call is lifelong. The race we run with Jesus, for Jesus, it's a lifelong project. It's not a part of our life. It's a whole life commitment. And so, man, we need help. (laughs) We need God's help. We need God's spirit. We need each other. We need to be rooted on, cheered on, celebrated, picked up when we fall. Uh, And that's part of why we we do this. That's part of why we do life group. That's part of why we do tripods. But it it is faith that sustains us. It is the spirit that enlivens us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.